You are listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we continue our study by examining how we are intended to love, live, and learn from others in our church family with a series we are calling Life in the Family. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bijouan. Almost 30 years ago, um, Ellen and I are coming up on our 30-year anniversary. Almost 30 years ago, between December, uh, December the 17th and January the 10th, we had a few things going on in our lives. What was that? Well, we graduated from college. I turned 23 years old. We celebrated Christmas. We moved all of our possessions uh, to Dallas-Fort Worth uh, to get set up for grad school and get everything moved into this apartment. We flew home back to Louisiana, celebrated New Year's Eve, celebrated New Year's Day, had a rehearsal dinner on January the 6th, got married January 7th, flew to Dallas on January 8th, and I was sitting in a classroom on January 10th. So, if you're familiar with stress inventories, I was told that I had a lot of points. Now, I didn't even know what that meant. I was 23 and figured we had the world by the tail, so we didn't really know. But there's this inventory, the Holmes Rahi Life Stress Inventory. There's 43 questions that are on that inventory that have a point value associated with them. Maybe if you've ever heard this or somebody talking about these points, this is probably what they're referring to. So there's 43 questions, and there's a point value for if that question is true about you, what, uh, how many points that's worth. And so then it says, if you're in this point range, you're probably good for the next two years. If you move up into the range, you've probably got some struggles coming in the next two years. Or if you're in this range, you've got a lot of struggles coming in the next two years. And so as you look at it, all of a sudden what I found out was we started going through this. So I thought, okay, well, there's some marriage stresses. Like, hey, we're getting married, that's a stress. I've lost my spouse, that's a stress. There's a separation, that's hard. There's a divorce, that's hard. Good, bad, indifferent, the change of it brings a lot of stress for us. There's also financial stresses, taking on a mortgage. I remember Ellen and I sitting in a, in a signing the paperwork on our first home, and I'm looking at that truth and lending disclosure form which I thought, I wish I'd never seen this, right? This is the price of the house. This is the interest rate. This is how many payments I'm going to have. And this is what I will have paid for this house in 30 years. And it seems like I should have more house for what I'm going to spend over the next 30 years to get it. Or foreclosing on a loan because we got into something and something changed and we couldn't take it on. Or taking on a loan. How do we do those things if all of a sudden you've got a major car repair or if you've got to replace an air conditioning in your house? Those are all stresses. Transition stresses. If there's a major change in your work or your vocation or your hours. If you're going to move from A to B, that's a stress. Maybe there's a new school that's come into play. And so that transition And we feel stressed so greatly, we can even have fun stresses, right? Like, we got vacation coming up. Like, that's great. Who doesn't love vacation? And then you think, do we have this? Do we have this? Do we do this? Do we stop the mail? Blah, blah, blah. Or holiday. If I were to ask you how many people are feeling the stress of Thanksgiving, I bet you that there's those of you who feel the stress, and then there's those of you that are just going to watch the Cowboys. And so you're unaware that it takes a whole lot of details to make that happen. Now, I would tell you the reality of life is this. We all experience these stresses. 
We all live in the reality of this harried world that we've got going on all around us. Sometimes we're aware of it, acutely aware of it. Sometimes we have no clue, but it's always there. And we all have it. That's part of what makes us human. When, we were, when Rob Jackson was here with us last week, we talked about how do we help people that are struggling? How do we step into these things with people? I will tell you that it's been said that as we walk through life and we get these burdens, the question is, how do we help carry somebody else's burdens? How do we step into that? Now, there's ways for us to talk about serving people, and we talked about that two weeks ago uh, in here. How do we serve people? And we understand that there's this world where we get, to, we get a chance to help somebody to step into their life and be somebody that could be used by God in their world. I'll tell you that they would also say that one of the heaviest burdens any of us carry is between our ears. How do we deal with guilt, shame, struggle that we put and internalize? Regrets, things that I wish I could do that over again. Well, if we're used to the idea that we can serve one another, if we're used to the idea that we could carry one another's burdens, I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Because what we're going to see today as we step into this is Paul is addressing carrying one another's burdens. And I think that there's a way for us to be really on board with that. Like, yeah, I'll come alongside you. I would do anything for you. And yet the context of where Paul's going to take us today is a very specific, a very unique way that we're invited to carry somebody else's burdens. Now, as you're turning there, I want to be really clear. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, but if we're going to follow the flow of thought, of what Paul has been writing about in Galatians, we need to uh, kind of remember and go back and lay the groundwork for this. And if you're like, Lance, you just taught these passages two weeks ago. I know. But I'm taking for granted that maybe you don't remember everything that was said two weeks ago. So we began with chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You've been set free. I've been set free. If you know Jesus Christ, you have been set free from bondage. You've set, been set free from this idea that there's this behavioral approach to our faith that you and I could live well enough, be good enough to earn our way to God. We can't. We've been set free from that way of life. But there's something that is so real that there is this pull. It defies logic, really, is that we could be set free and we could decide, you know what? This freedom feels too free. What I really would like is to be shackled up again to something that is a little bit more behavioral. And so he says, look, stand firm, therefore, because all of life is going to try to pull you back to this idea of trying to manage our sin and our behaviors. So stand firm. Don't go back to it. He's writing to believers. These are people that have been set free, but the pull back into a behavioral approach to our faith is still there. It's still strong. So later on in the chapter, he brings us to this idea if we are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, we don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the, uh, for the flesh. We're going to lovingly learn how to serve one another. If I've been set free, that doesn't mean all of a sudden I'm a ship without a rudder. It doesn't mean that I have no direction. And it doesn't mean that life has become all about me and I get to be this hedonistic person that just pursues whatever I think at any given point in time. No, we've been set free such that we can love and serve one another. All of a sudden, we're not competitors, we're not opponents, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And in that brotherhood, in that sisterhood, we have this remarkable reality is that our boast, our only boast 
is the Lord Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected on our behalf. Now, if you're here and you don't know this, or you're watching and you don't know this, the wonderful truth was this, is this, is Jesus Christ came and lived in the flesh and walked on this earth. He went to the cross to pay the penalty of sin, but he was completely righteous. So he didn't have a wage to pay. He paid somebody else's wage. He paid my wage. He paid your wage. And in doing so, all of a sudden, the guilt was satisfied, and he walked out of the grave three days later and offers you and me life. Which is why all of a sudden we can stand in here and say, you know what? We're not competitors. We're not opponents. We're not in competition with one another. We have the same boast. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. We're all there. And we're all headed on the same journey that ultimately one day we will see Jesus Christ face to face. And what a day it will be. So from now until that day, what we do is we lovingly serve one another. Because we're all on the same path moving forward. How strong is it? Well, in the next verse, Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Is that we're going to have to learn how to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to serve each other. Why would we do that? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to lovingly engage one another and on behalf of one another. But the reality is, is sometimes we can bite and devour one another and consume one another. If I were to ask you, have you ever experienced this in the body of Christ? Everybody would say yes. Everybody would say, I know what it feels like. I've seen the ugly side of how brothers and sisters can relate to each other. And we're left biting and devouring one another, consumed by one another, and that's the path we're on. Here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. Because Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's our path. You and I immediately recognize you can be a Christian. You can come to a fork in a road, and one fork is going to be walked by the Spirit. The other is going to be gratified the desires of the flesh. They're at odds with one another, which is the next thing he tells them. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the spirits are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. You and I can walk with Christ, and then we're going to come to a point in the road where the question is, what will I do? Will I walk in the desires of the flesh... Or will I walk by the Spirit? You can't do both. They're at odds with one another. You can't marry them together. You can't say, I'm going to have a little bit of Jesus, and I'm going to have a little bit of the flesh. It doesn't work that way. There is a fork in the road where you and I have to decide what we're going to do. But know this, the works of the flesh are battling against what we really want to do, which is love one another and serve one another. That's the path he's had us on. So with a very unique, specific way, he's going to invite us to consider how we would carry one another's burdens. The question I'm going to tell you ahead of time is what happens in that moment where if these two things are at odds, the works of the flesh and walking by the Spirit, if those are at odds, what happens when somebody comes to the fork in the road and somebody goes the pathway of works of the flesh? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes, says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him or her to a spirit of, uh, with a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own 
load. Now, let's break it down because I think it's going to become really clear as we work through this passage what he's encouraging us. Brothers and sisters, he's writing to believers. We're all on this path. Works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. They're doing battle with one another. Look at the phraseology. If anyone is caught in a transgression, there is our situation. If anyone is caught in a transgression. Now, a few months ago, I opened a a message talking about dreams and nightmares. And I told you that I grew up with this recurring nightmare. I don't know the origin of it. Uh, It was bizarre, but it followed me forever. I'm walking down the side of the interstate as a child. I know that's different. But I'm walking down the, the, uh, the shoulder of the interstate, and there is a snake coming after me. And the snake is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and getting faster and faster. And so I go from the walk to the jog to the run to the sprint, and I'm running with everything I have to get away from a snake that is growing in size and gaining ground on me until, and you know what happens, I wake up right when the snake opens its mouth, and it's this huge snake. Now, if you can follow the imagery and the horror of that dream for me as a child, look at what it says. If anyone is caught in a transgression. Now, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. These were people that know Christ. They've been set free. They've been walking with Christ. They live in the same battle that you and I live in. They're battling works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. They're in the same battle that you and I are in. The imagery is that sin caught them. They were on the path. They had taken the fork in the road. They were walking in the Spirit. And here's the thing. The snakes don't stop at the fork in the road, do they? You can walk with Christ for a week, a month, a year, five years, ten years, and those snakes don't stop chasing us. So all of a sudden, this brother or sister in Christ is walking with the Lord, things are going okay, and then there's a snake coming behind them. What are the snakes? Well, John writes about it this way. For what's in the world, the desires of the flesh, what my body wants and craves, I will become a slave to my body and I will accomplish whatever the body wants. Desires of the eyes, I will become a slave to my eyes. Whatever my eyes see that is shiny and wonderful, I must acquire that for my eyes. Or pride of life, I want to feel smart, I want to feel powerful, I don't want to feel dumb, I don't want to feel exposed, I don't want to be in any moment where I'm shown to be fragile or foolish or anything like that. So I can become a slave to my flesh, my eyes, and my pride. Those are the snakes. So this believer has found himself or herself. They come up. They're walking with the Lord. Things are going well, but the snake didn't stop at the fork of the road. And now the terminology is anyone's caught in transgression. That snake is getting faster, faster, faster. It has now caught up and now has overtaken this brother or sister in Christ. In transgression. Transgression means that you've deviated from the path of righteousness. That's how we know. They came to the fork in the road. They chose well. They went with the Spirit. That's what we wanted them to do. That's what we wanted to do. But the snake didn't stop at the fork. The snake kept going. And they were caught in transgression. They deviated from the path of righteousness. At some point, there was a bridge over to the other fork in the road. That's our situation. Now, in the context of what we're talking about here, 
The idea is how do we walk in the Spirit? How do we stay on this fork? Well, that was part of the previous chapter. If you were here when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, Paul said, look, it's really evident. It's really clear when we see the works of the flesh. I mean, you can't mistake them for righteousness. Nobody would mistake them for righteousness. He said, but I can't even give you all of them because you're going to continue to find new ways to live out the flesh. But he said, basically, if you read through the works of the flesh, you're going to see it falls into areas of sexual sin, religious sin, relational sin, and sense of decadence, where I just want to numb myself and be hedonistic on whatever I can do in this life. We can see those things. As all of a sudden, I was on this path, I was walking with the Spirit, the snakes began to catch me, whether it was my eyes, my flesh, or my pride, the snake caught up with me, overtook me, and threw me on the side of the road. I deviated from the path of righteousness. And what the world is going to see, sexual sin, religious sin, relational sin, decadent sin, that's what we're going to see. So what happened? How do we stay on the other path? Because he's going to offer us something we really need to hear, is if we're going to walk by the Spirit, what we're going to see is a transformed mind. We now, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not competing with you, I'm for you, is I will reach out to you. And now all of a sudden, it changes the entire way that I conduct myself. So now all of a sudden, we can say, okay, so that's the path that we're on. Now, look at the responder. That's the situation. Look at the responder. Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in transgression, the snake has caught them, they've, been, they've deviated from the path of righteousness. You who are spiritual, who are the spiritual? Well, that's the people who are walking with the Spirit that are looking like this transformed way of thinking, this transformed relationships with others, and a transformed conduct. You're living in such a way that you're walking with Christ and it's manifesting itself through your mind, through your relationships, and how you, you act and live out your life in this world. Okay? So you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. All right, so there's our take. That's the goal. The situation is one of ours has fallen by the wayside. They've deviated from the path of righteousness. Snake got them, and they're there on the side of the road. You who are spiritual, us who are spiritual, the one who are doing battle with the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, they're opposed. They're always battling. And if you find yourself in a position where one of our brothers and sisters has lost that battle for the moment, for the day, for the week, whatever, they've fallen by the side. The person who is walking with the Lord goes after them. For what purpose? To ridicule them? To scorn them? To leave them on the side of the road? No. Matter of fact, he uses the word is that we should restore them. The idea is to restore. Now, I want to show you where this word gets used. In Mark, it's used in this passage. Jesus is calling his disciples. Jesus sees James. He sees John. And James and John are on their boat, and they're mending their nets. The word restore there is translated mend. Now think with me about that net. These are fishermen who fish with nets. This isn't a new net. This is a net that they've used. And the net was at one point solid. I don't know how many fish have been caught in that net. I bet you they loved that net. That net had value. That net had meaning to them. And there was enough value in the net that they didn't say, just let the net sink to the bottom of the water and we're just going to go buy a new net. At one point, that net was functioning righteously. And then something happened. 
It got weathered, too big of a haul of fish, something sharp, who knows. But the net broke. You know what you do when a net breaks? You don't discard it. There's too much value in the net. You mend the net so that it gets ready to be used for the purpose in which it was intended again. That's the calling. The word also gets used in 2 Corinthians 11. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 13. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, finally, brothers, rejoice. Here's some marching orders for us, church. Aim for restoration. Aim for mending the nets in this life to come back together. How are we going to do it? Well, we're going to comfort one another. We're going to agree with one another. We're going to learn how to live in peace with one another. And the God of love and peace will be with us. That's our target, is that we would be in the business of restoring people, like we would restore a net. Because we don't get rid of nets, we restore nets because they have value and they matter. And at one point, they were doing exactly what they were intended to do. And then there was something that happened and the net ceased to be effective. But you bring the net back to life. You restore the net. So come back to our passage. If anyone's caught in a transgression, those of you who are winning the spiritual battle in the moment, those who are experiencing success, walking in the spirit, not giving in to works of the flesh, you go after that person and you restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Well, of course. You know why you restore them with the with the spirit of gentleness? Because the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. It's not asking you to do something that's out of your way. It's not doing, asking something of you that's impossible. No, you're walking with the spirit. And as you walk with, in the spirit, you will manifest the spiritual fruit. And part of the spiritual fruit is gentleness. And so when you go after this person that's on the side of the road that got caught by the snake, you who are spiritual, that are experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, you go and you bring that fruit of the Spirit with you in that moment. We don't kick them. We don't yell at them. We don't scream at them. We don't say, shame on you. You're a failure. We don't say, I'm so glad it's you and not me. We don't say, I would never fall for what you fell for. No. You go after them with a spirit of gentleness. I think Hendrickson said something well and so obvious that I'm just going to share with you with what this uh, commentator writes. If you're the one who is spiritual, you go after that person and you follow a positive, not a negative course with respect to the trespasser. You don't hurt them. You help them. And you treat them as you would wish to be treated if you were in that place. Now, that is so well said. And yet, I wonder how my, many of us are thinking, okay, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I would ask you this, consider what the snakes are chasing you, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, or the lust of the flesh. We all have the same three snakes chasing us, and we've all been caught by those snakes at some point in our lives. We all know what it feels like to be caught by the snake. I would ask you to consider this, because this is what Hendrick says so well. When you got caught by the snake and you're on the side of the road, what is it that you wish somebody had done for you? I can tell you what you didn't want. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we'll look at here in a minute, remember the priest who looked religious and walked by and kept going? Remember the Levite who walked by and kept going? It was the Samaritan that stopped. And we would have all wanted that to be who we were. We would have wanted that moment where that would have happened. This spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. 
Even if you look at the lexicon, it, it defines it this way. It's the quality of not being overly impressed by one's sense of uh, self-importance. Now, think of it. What a funny way to say that. Is it uh, if I've got gentleness, I'm not so absorbed in myself, absorbed with how great I am, that I can move towards you. You're not beneath me. I'm not better than you. The snake caught you, and I know what it's like to be caught by the snake. I've been there. So it's not that I'm so great, but I know how, what you're going through. I know what it feels like to be where you are. Gentle, humility, courteous, consider, meek. That's the spirit that you go after the person on the side of the road. It's a real different way of thinking. But when I said from the beginning, this whole idea of how we carry another's burdens, there's all kinds of ways to do it. You could run their errands for them. You could go to the grocery store for them. You could pick up their kids from a practice maybe. You could go help them get a tree limb off their roof. Whatever it is, we're comfortable, I think, in all of those ways of saying, let me serve you or let me help carry the burden that you find yourself in. But imagine looking up and saying, you know what? This is a spiritual burden that when a brother or sister in Christ gets left on the side of the road because the snake has caught them, how do we help that person carry the burden of the, ga- the guilt and the shame of being on the side of the road? How do we help restore them spiritually because they need to be mended? And that's part of what it looks like for us to love and serve another person. See, everything begins to change. So when we looked at the Good Samaritan passage two weeks ago, the Samaritan, as he's journeyed, he came to where this person, this victim of this violent crime, left him on the side of the road. And when the, the Samaritan saw this victim on the side of the road, he had compassion upon them. Okay, so how do you have compassion? Well, look at what he did. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. The oil would have been something to help soothe the pain. The wine would have been an antiseptic to clean his wounds. And then put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know why this person, this victim, needed to have somebody carry the burden? Because he was incapable of getting up and taking care of himself. He was left for dead. And somebody came alongside and helped care care for his burdens and said, you know what? Let me take care of you physically. You can't walk all the way back to the city. Let me put you on my animal. You don't have the resources. You were just robbed. You have no resources. So let me pay for you to be cared for. Now, as you do this, you recognize that carrying another person's uh, burdens, like this person, the Samaritan is going to get down on his knees. And guess what? You're going to have to engage. Is it going to be messy? I'm sure that the Samaritan left bloodied by the interaction. Was it his fault? No. Did he love the person enough to do it? Absolutely. And so when we look at it, we start saying, okay, so how do we move into this? Okay? Gentleness the one who's spiritual, the ones who is having opportunity to walk with the Lord, all of these things are moving in the right direction. Now let's talk about sin because that snake that swallowed him was real. And we got snakes coming after us as well. So when the author of Hebrews writes words like this, where it says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run that race with endurance. I bet you if I talk with you about the snakes in your life that are chasing you, whether or not it's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life, I bet you can identify which snakes seem to be cling more closely to you than the other. There is one of them that is for sure. But I bet you you can identify. And so the idea, we got to lay that stuff aside. What is it that we need to get rid of of our life that keeps feeding the snakes? 
Because they keep chasing what is it that we're feeding them that allows them to continue to pursue us, that they're just always there. Well, we need to think about that. Well, is it God's fault that the snakes are there? Well, no. James tells us where that comes from. Temptation is when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. Is there something going on inside of me of why I feel particularly drawn to the, uh, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, or the pride of life? There's something inside of me. I need to own that. I need to address that. I need to acknowledge that. Well, nobody else understands me. Well, Paul makes it clear, no, there's no temptation that you're facing. One of those three snakes, you don't have snakes that are different than everybody else's snakes. We all have the snakes. They're common to man. We're all battling those same three snakes, how they manifest themselves, how they tempt us may be different, but it's the same three snakes. But know this, God's faithful. God's faithful. He will show up and sustain you and provide for you and provide a way of escape. Jesus, you don't understand what I'm dealing with. No, author of Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. He was tempted in every respect as we are, but he didn't sin. Is Jesus ever tempted by the desires of the flesh? Sure. Desires of the eyes? Sure. Pride of life? Yes. You can go read the account of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan was tempting him. All three of those things are there for him too. But he withstood the temptation. So we've got to understand the reality of what we're facing. Now, look back with me at the text. So somebody's caught. This person who's experiencing spiritual victory is going to go after him to restore him, to bring him back with what kind of spirit? One of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, I don't know when was the last time you thought you had a great deal of spiritual pride. I'm so glad that sin's in my past. I don't struggle with that anymore. Well, Paul has words for us there. Let anyone who thinks he or she stands take heed lest he or she fall. Those snakes don't stop. We may create more distance between us and the snake as we experience spiritual victory, but those snakes never stop chasing us. They may get smaller, but it doesn't take but a bad moment for that snake to become an overwhelming catch-up-and-take-you-out kind of snake. That is part of the reality of this world. So keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If you're a person who some, a snake took out this person and you have the same snake chasing you, that may not be the one you need to go restore. You may need to say, you know what, let me pray for you, let me engage this, but I can't go get in the middle of that right now because of the snakes that chase me. We don't ever outgrow the snakes. They stay there. And catch what he says, verse 2. So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the burden? As we've got somebody that's being chased by snakes and the snake won in a moment. I don't know how long the snake has won, but the snake has won in this moment for sure. And we step in, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. That's where we are in 6.2. Now, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you, love one another. So that's the law that we're talking about. We're in Galatians 6 right now, but two weeks ago we were in Galatians 5. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul keeps coming back to it. That Luke passage is the parable of the Good Samaritan that we just referenced. As we keep going after people, why? Because we understand is that God has called us to love and serve one another. 
And as we do that, we actually are fulfilling the law of God of what he's asked us to do. We bear one another's burdens. How are we doing at it? Well, look with me, if you would, at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, what a strong statement. He continues, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Okay? If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, if any of us feel like the spiritual victories we are experiencing are because it is us and not the Holy Spirit at work in us, we've missed the boat. If we think we can brag and pat ourselves on our back for whatever spiritual victories we have of, look at how good I'm doing. Man, I'm killing this spiritual life thing, man. I'm killing it today. I'm so holy. Everybody can see my holiness. I think Paul's words are, if you think you're something, when in reality you're nothing. Not a value, not val- value or worth statement. Jesus already displayed how valuable you were on the cross. The question is, Are you living out the gospel in the recognition that we are dependent upon a Savior, or or do we actually think that God got a good deal when he got us on his team? Because I think his words are, if you think that God got a good deal with you because of how strong you are spiritually, recognize this. That's not true. And you've deceived yourself. See why that's a denial of the gospel? Because at the heartbeat at the heart of it is the heartbeat that says, I got this spiritual life thing down pretty well. I pretty much can do this. I don't really need the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a strong statement. But let each one test his own work. What's the test? Here's the test. Each one tests his own work, and then he will have reason to boast, will be in himself alone, not his neighbor. What's the test? Are you stepping in to restore our fallen brothers and sisters in Christ, as they battle so that they can be restored and mended back into God's purposes and plans. That's the test, according to Paul. And if the answer to that question is yes, God, you keep creating opportunities for me to step in and help mend people and restore people, then the boast is, God, you continue to use me for your purposes wherever you have me. I will gladly and willingly willingly be used by you You know where the victory isn't? I didn't end up on the side of the road. Our victory, that test, whether we pass it or not, is whether or not we continue to allow God to use us for his purposes or not. The victory of passing the test isn't that the snake didn't catch me and that I'm not the guy or the girl on the side of the road. That's not the test. Did I fulfill the law of Christ? Did I love my neighbor? Did I serve my neighbor in the same way that God is calling me to do that? See, it changes everything. For each one will have to bear his own load. Now, it's an interesting statement because you're thinking, wait a minute, we're just told to bear one another's burdens. It sounds like it's in contradiction. There's two different words there, and I'll show you what the words are. But burden is a thing that's too heavy and burdensome for an individual to carry alone. There are some things in this world, and you know them, you can imagine them, where when life has hurt you or knocked you out, that the load is so heavy, you've got to have somebody help you carry it. This isn't enabling. This is how do we pick up the pieces and move forward? And you may need somebody to come alongside you. That was what was verse 2. This verse uses a different word. It's 
speaks of an individual pack, something you carry alone, like a soldier carrying a backpack. Can you imagine if a soldier couldn't carry their own backpack and everybody else is carrying it? No. You've got to carry your backpack. There are some things in this life that only you are called to carry. And if I try to carry it, now I'm enabling negative behaviors. There's a difference. Where's the line? Well, it's not always cut and dry. We're going to have to trust that the Lord will make it clear. Am I doing enabling behaviors when they should be carrying this pack? Or is this a burden that is so overwhelming I've got to step in and help carry it? It's a hard reality. I recognize that. We live in that too. But how do we step into that in a way? We've got to figure that out. Here's the good news. Is if you're on the path and you come to the fork in the road and you're living in the spiritual path, the Holy Spirit is more than capable to show us where that line is between enabling and where we need to step in and help. There are some things in my life, if, if my life falls apart, you may be able to help me trim a tree or take a tree down or get groceries or help pay a bill, but you can't help me be a husband and a father. That's a, that's a backpack I carry. So how we walk in that, it's difficult, but the Spirit can bring clarity for us in how we do it. Now, let's come back to this. We come to a fork in the road. We can work out of the flesh. We can walk in the Spirit. Romans chapter 7, I don't do what I want to do. I do the very things I don't want to do. Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 7 sounds like like spiritual defeat, doesn't it? Romans 8 sounds like spiritual victory, and it's just great. You know the difference between the path of works of the flesh and the path to walking in the Spirit? It's all in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's not mentioned in Romans 7. It's mentioned 21 times in Romans 8. The question is, how do we live and abide in Christ in a Romans 8 world? Because the moment we don't, we veer off into this works of the flesh, and then the snakes will catch us. Gordon McDonald is a, was a pastor and a writer. He wrote a book called Ordering Your Private World. I will tell you, I, I really like the book. After he wrote the book, the snakes caught him. He had a moral failure. He was removed from ministry and so forth. I will tell you this. He wrote a follow-up book called Rebuilding Your Broken World. And in Rebuilding Your Broken World, he uses an illustration that is so core, it carries the entire message of the book which is this idea, is that we all have two-by-fours in the backyards of our life. Now, think with me. If you've got a two-by-four in the backyard of your life, you pick that thing up, and there is an entire life underneath it. It's dark. It's wet. There's bugs. The grass is dead. And his metaphor was he had some two-by-fours in the backyard of his life, which is what led to his downfall. I will tell you that we all have two-by-fours in our lives that will all lead to our downfall. So his encouragement would be, who do you invite? Who do you love? Who loves you? Who is safe enough to walk into your life and pick up the two-by-fours in the backyard of your life? You'll be better for it. They will be better for it. We will all be better for it. As good as that illustration is, McDonald um, brings us to this. As I watched those bugs scurry for cover, I thought of what might be called the underside of the church. The numberless people who walk into our sanctuaries all over the world carrying their secrets behind their bright clothing and their forced smiles. They sing our songs, they pray the prayers, they listen to the sermons, and all the while, the secrets fester within the private world, causing either a constantly broken heart 
or a hardened heart, and they come in fear of their secrets being exposed, and they quite likely will go in fear. They will have to live this way for the rest of their lives. Believe me, the underside of the church is there, listening and watching to find out whether there's anyone with whom their secret might be safe if revealed. You've got two-by-fours in your backyard. I've got two-by-fours in my backyard. We all do. We all have the same three snakes, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. We all have them. The question isn't whether they're there. We as believers know they're there. And the question for you and me is, will we walk according to the flesh or will we walk in the Spirit? And if walking in the Spirit allows for the reality and the humility of seeing we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the same basis for our faith, and we are all headed in the same direction. And, and who can I pick up off the side of the road on the way from here to there that need to be restored and mended? Because that's the privilege that we have as a body of Christ, that we get invited into that for your life to be hugely significant in the life of another. We want to be a church. I want to be a church. I think you want to be a church where you're free to lift up the two-by-fours because there's a better quality of life than having two-by-fours all over your backyard. Lord, may we be a place where it's safe, where you feel loved, cared for, nurtured. No mocking, no ridicule, no scorn. Because if we become this church, we will become a place of incredible influence for Christ. It's not about our name. It's about Christ. And we will have the opportunity to do that, and we will be the church God calls us to be because we will be fulfilling the law of Christ. And what a moment that'll be. That's the invitation. No pretense We've all got snakes. Let's help each other with those snakes so that maybe before one of us ends up on the side of the road, we can keep us all upright. But when somebody falls on the side of the road, we're going to stop and we're going to mend. That's our calling. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.